The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the Father taught me, and and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. My aim in this message and from this message is that we would walk in a certain way. What way? This way, walk as a particular kind of children. What kind of children? We'll get to that in a moment. On the way to answering that question, we'll address the following six questions. Number one, what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the light of the world? Number two, what kind of light is he? Number three, What hinders people from seeing the light? Number four, in verse 12, you can look at verse 12 there. What does follow mean? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Question number five, look at verse 15. How can Jesus say at the end there, he judges no one, and yet in verse 16 immediately he says, he judges 
Is he bonkers? And question six, why should you listen to a sermon like this? I'll give two answers. This is the third sermon in a series, Advent series, called Light in the Darkness. And in his sermon two weeks ago, Andy Nacelli told us that the Bible has an arc. That is, the Bible is one big story from before Adam to after the dragon is cast into outer darkness or thrown into the pit. And that arc features many events, and one of the most significant events on that arc is what we observe at this time of year, the Incarnation, the first advent, the arrival of Jesus by birth. Now, kids, you can learn a big four-syllable word and what it means. The word is incarnation, incarnation. What does it mean? Well, first, say the word incarnation. Incarnation. Pretty good. Now, if you're age 12 and under, say the word incarnation. Ready? Okay, yes. Just as good as the adults. You can learn this word. What is it? It means what we preached from the book of Philippians just a few weeks ago in this room. Listen to Philippians 2.6. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by, and here comes the incarnation, by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. That's incarnation. So kids, if you hear the word incarnation around Christmas, it means Jesus, who was already in existence, takes on the form of a human being by being born. Which brings us to question one. What does he mean then as an adult when he says he's the light of the world? I am the light of the world. This is one of seven I am statements that Jesus makes over the course of his life. All of them in the book of John. In 635, I am the bread of life. Number three, I'm skipping over number two. Number three, in 1070, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In 1125, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Number five, in 1011, he says, I am the good shepherd. Number six, in 146, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life which will have some bearing on this message this morning. And then number seven, in chapter 15, verse one of John, he says, I am the true vine. Now we skipped over number two, which is in today's text, where he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is speaking autobiographically here. As the light of the world, Jesus speaks from God and for God, about God, as God. Listen to it again. As the light of the world, Jesus speaks from God and for God, about God, as God. Let me go through it one more time and have you look for it in our text this morning. He speaks from God. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from. He speaks from God and for God. Jump down to verse 26. 
have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He speaks from God. And he speaks for God. And he speaks about God. Look at verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And he speaks as God. Look at verse 27. Jesus said to them, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Actually, the word he is not in the original there. It's just I am. I am. I'm the I am. I'm the same I am that was in the Old Testament. I'm God. Jesus is the light. When he says, I'm the light of the world, he is the light by which we see God. That's the main point. It's the main point of the text. It's the main point of this message. When Jesus says he's the light of the world, it means he's the light by which we see God. That's what he enables us to see. That's who he enables us to see. Now we're addressing the question, what did Jesus mean when he said he's the light of the world? How is Jesus light? The word light is in the ESV Bible that's in the pews there 265 times. And so it would be a long, longer sermon than it's going to be if we were to look in detail at the use of the word light throughout the Bible. In the physical world, light is a universal phenomenon. It's in operation everywhere. Even in the deepest, darkest cave, there is still light down there. We just don't have the capacity in our eyes to apprehend the light that's there. But there is light everywhere. It's universal. And what does light do? It performs functions. What functions does it perform? See if you can identify the work of Jesus in the following nine functions performed by light. Light does these nine things. See if you can see how Jesus does these nine things. Number one, light produces growth. The plants in your garden need to get enough light. That's why greenhouses have transparent roofs on them. Number two, light dispels darkness. Cloudy days are gloomy. That's a good place for an amen right there. Yeah. Kind of a whiny amen down there. <laughs> Dungeons are dark and gloomy, and light dispels the darkness and the gloominess. Number three, light clarifies details. That's why jewelers and watchmakers have bright lights over their workbenches, workmen of all kinds. In fact, you probably have extra lights in your kitchen so that you can see what you're working with. Light clarifies details. These lights that are in my face right now are here to clarify certain details and gestures and facial expressions so that if you're watching on the screen, you can pick up things you might miss if it was really dark in here because faces communicate something. Send a message to your face once in a while. It's communicating something to people around you. Number four, light probes. Lasers pierce darkness they go in a straight line, sometimes cutting, sometimes even joining things together. There's a way that they can weld with lasers. Number five, light provides warmth. Heat is infrared light. When I was a lad on our pig farm, and when a, in the winter a sow would give birth to maybe up to a dozen, sometimes more little piglets in there, 
we would provide a heat lamp over the nursing pen in order to keep them warm. And, and don't you feel the warmth of basking in the sun after a cool, rainy spell in the weather? Don't you like to just kind of stand there and just kind of put your face up into the sun? Uh, I do. And light provides warmth. This, uh, right now, you are emitting light from the warmth of your body. That's why policemen can use their infrared detectors to see where a fugitive might be hiding because you're emitting light. I think Jesus meant more than one thing when he said, you are the light of the world. Believers not only illuminate reality, they warm those around them. Six, light reveals true color. In the very early morning before the sun is up, as the sun is rising, have you witnessed how increasingly everything around you takes on color? It was all gray, but now the red birds are red. They're not just black. And that house across the street, oh, that's a blue house, and so on. The flowers, the blossoms, everything takes on color. Light is revealing the color, the true color. Jesus has a way of revealing our true color. Eight, light transmits messages from traffic lights to billboards to your flat screen TV to the thing that you might have in your pocket or your purse right now. Messages are transmitted by light. In fact, we could ask ourselves the question, what made the dark ages dark? It was a failure to transmit messages. Truth got neglected. It didn't get transferred. It didn't get passed along. Light from stars enables sailors to get their bearings, find their way. Light can show you the way. Number next, eight. Light retards disease. Ultraviolet light kills bacteria, mold. Is it fungi or fungi? It's that, that thing there that we just said. Viruses even can be killed by light. One of our daughters, when first born, spent time under the Billy Rubin lights because of jaundice. And that light was meant to help her body process some of what was going on in her. Now, while light performs all of those highly significant functions that we've just mentioned, the main one in this text is this ninth function of light, namely, light reveals. It exposes lots of things, specifically exposing that which was hidden. Light reveals. In, in, elsewhere in the Bible, we can find a number of characters who were light. Joseph revealed to Pharaoh a coming famine and a plan to manage that famine. Mordecai and Esther revealed to King Ahasuerus that Haman was plotting to kill all the Jews, and they shed light on that plot. Daniel revealed the future to one king after another. When it comes to revealing, Jesus is sent by the Father to be a revealer. Where would we be without his revealing work? We'd be in the dark. 
Our text tells us five times that he came to be, quote, a witness. Five times. You can find it in verse 13, verse 14, twice in verse 18, and in verse 26. And four times he said he was sent to give testimony, which is what a witness gives. So he was a witness five times and gives testimony four times in here, nine times. In fact, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and then the Bible says, your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. David didn't know all that he was saying there, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say what he was saying. He didn't know everything that we know. He didn't have the New Testament. But the Bible has increasingly unpacked what that meant, and Jesus reveals as light more about God. And that brings us to question number two. What kind of light is he? Look again at verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A life-giving light comes from life, and it gives life. He's pointing out a definite connection here between light and life. If we were to jump to the first chapter of John, the fourth verse, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. To follow Jesus is to have life and light. He who has the Son has life. That's a remarkable kind of light. And Jesus is the light of the world. There's no other light. You have two options. You can have A, Jesus, or you can have B, darkness. Those are the two options. Now, how do we know that Jesus claimed to be the light of the world? is not just an empty claim, like a, a sailor, a drunken sailor who claims to be the smartest man on the ship. How do we know Jesus isn't just full of himself and we're hearing braggadocia? Well, the answer is in verse 28. When you have lifted him up, then you will know. You will know. His crucifixion will expose him. Now, how does that kind of knowing work? It works like this. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension validate everything else about him. His words, his priorities, his claims, his identity, everything. Now, darkness has more than one meaning. When Isaiah says the people were walking in great darkness, it doesn't mean that the sun didn't come up or there was a perpetual eclipse of some kind. He's not talking about physical darkness. To say... I'm in the dark is like saying what I said to Vicky this week. As your husband, I'm clueless. Recently, Vicky and I got pulled over because our tabs were expired on our license. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you, I think, are identifying with that experience. I don't know. We were clueless in the dark. And the officer brought us into the light. 
Now, caution. Darkness can go beyond just not knowing, just not being aware. It can become truth suppression. I don't know. I don't want to know. I'm going to avoid knowing. Like if you've ever watched Hogan's Heroes, Sergeant Schultz on there. I see nothing. And he's looking right at it. I see nothing. I know nothing. Back to John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus' light never flickers out. So question number one, what does Jesus mean when he's saying he is the light of the world? Answer, he reveals the Father to us. And question number two, what kind of light is he? He's the light of life. So question number three, what hinders appreciating the light? I ask this because not everybody appreciates Jesus as light. Back in John chapter 1 again, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Why not? Answer, in their blindness they foolishly suppress the truth. Paul writes it this way in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, animals and creeping things. So just because there's light doesn't mean we automatically assume it'll be seen or appreciated. Get this from Moses in Deuteronomy. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw the signs, and those great wonders. <clears throat> but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see. <laughs> they could see, but they couldn't see. The objections of a blind man do not negate the truth revealed by the light. Man's blindness does not cancel the existence of stars, billions of them. They're there whether he sees them or not. And it's irrational to think, and our culture thinks this way often. It's irrational to think because if, if I can't see it, it must not be. And if you claim to see it when I don't see it and you claim to see it, you're delusional. Be careful. How tragic that the Jewish leaders to whom Jesus is speaking in our text today do not see God when He's standing right there in front of them. Seeing they don't see. And their inability to see Him, to acknowledge Him as Messiah, doesn't mean that He's not the Messiah. 
So it's possible to look right at Jesus and not see what's there. Blindness doesn't necessarily mean you can't see anything, but that you can't see everything that's right there in front of you necessarily. And our blindness can be worse than we think. We not only fail to see our sin that's actually there, this is what we're good at not seeing. Worse than that, we see righteousness that we don't have. It's a mirage. We hallucinate. That's what our sinful spirit does to us. Paul David Tripp says, quote, Delusions of righteousness are a grave danger. We think we're pretty good. Of course, it stands to reason that if you're blind, you may or you may not know the extent of your blindness. So, one way to test yourself about blindness, and it's not the main test, but here's a test, is to try to observe what you're willing to think about much. Do you suppress or avoid or deny careful thinking about what Jesus says? Do you look away from that? If so, today's text implies you're turning away from the light. Because He is the light. The Bible teaches us that we need Jesus in order to truly see Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said to Paul. I am Jesus. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul, who heard that, then here's what he said to the Romans. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. It requires divine light and divine overcoming of my darkness in order for me to see the light. It takes what the incarnation is about in order for me to see what the incarnation is about. It takes Jesus in order for me to see Jesus. But observe verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Wow. I think that's some of you. Question five, and if you're taking notes, yes, I've skipped over question number four for now. Question five, how can Jesus say in verse 15 he judges no one, and yet immediately he says he judges in verse 16? Well, he judges no one, verse 15, according to the flesh. That is, he doesn't originate his judgments, but his judgments emanate from the Father. He doesn't judge independently of the Father. That's how he doesn't judge. But hearing from the Father how he should judge, he proceeds to judge, and he judges truly. Verse 19, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Now, the Jewish leaders that heard him say that, they might have thought, well, is he referring to Joseph, the carpenter? If you knew me, you would know my, my Father. That's not what he meant. Now, behold, when it comes to Jesus and God, 
it's impossible to accept one and repudiate the other. If you believe there's no God, you will not understand who Jesus is. To the degree that one repudiates God, one cannot say that Jesus is great, not truthfully. And to deny Jesus' deity is to not know God. If you think he's a great moral teacher or something, but not God, you don't know him and you don't know God. Seven times in our passage that was read to us this morning, Jesus points to the fact that he's from the Father. His authority is not owing to any human origin, but to the Father. So we come to question six. Why should you listen to a sermon like this? I'm going to give two reasons. Number one, because you don't want to die in your sin. Look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. To die in your sin is to be barred from the biggest Christmas party ever. A party glowing with resplendent light. In contrast, the Bible describes hell as outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This morning, while I would be foolish and blind to ignore what Jesus says about dying to sin, I don't want to put the emphasis on hell in this message. When my wife suggests to me that we go on a special outing, she doesn't have to emphasize, now Sam, let's go out and look out for drunk drivers and watch out for potholes and look out for construction and look out for steep ditches. Let's not be texting and driving. She doesn't have to emphasize the negative. Those are all hazards and they're really there. But she emphasizes, let's go out and have a lovely dinner together. Friends, there is a hell to shun. There is a hazard to avoid. There is an outer darkness. There is dying in your sin. But that's not where I want to put the emphasis this morning. When I teach my granddaughter to drive, I mainly instruct her in adjusting the mirrors and gently squeezing the accelerator and squeezing the brake and focusing on the road and enjoying getting to our destination. But I don't totally ignore the ditches and the oncoming traffic and the life-threatening dangers that are on every side. So this morning in a text like this, I want to invite you not mainly to avoid dying in your sins, but it is in the text. I want mainly for you to enjoy the light of the world and revel in Him. It's beautiful because He's beautiful. Savor Him. Delight in the one who has come. There's that word, kids, incarnation. He's come. Do everything necessary, He did. He did it all so that you and I can join His everlasting Christmas party at no cost. And a cost we couldn't pay anyway. Here's the second reason you should listen. If you already see the light of Jesus and He reveals God to you, you're a believer, then a reason to listen to this message is to be reminded to look at the light and walk accordingly. 
Earlier I said we should walk as children, and I asked, well, what kind of children? Let me give an answer from Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's what kind of children we should walk as. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So listen to a message like this so that you don't die in your sins. And listen to a message like this so you can walk in the light. And Jesus is that light. Now back to question four that we skipped over. What does follow mean in verse 12 where he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Well, follow means walk. Walk by faith. We could look again at verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed. That's part of that walking. Believe. And it's, it's a belief that overflows in goodness and rightness and truth. That's what it said in Ephesians 5. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Does that reflect my life? Does that reflect your life? Goodness, rightness, truth. We should walk that way. We should walk in obedience to the one we are following. We follow. He leads, we follow. And we should marvel with delight at the light of the world. When you walk as children of light, remember that the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. Oh, the glorious possibilities when we walk as children of the light. We become what we behold, so behold and become. Let me pray. Father in heaven, how grateful we are that Jesus heard from you, was sent by you, came, was faithful to you to deliver to us what we needed to hear, to shine into our hearts this glorious gospel that we behold in the face of Christ. Thank you for sending him as, yes, the bread of life, and yes, as the good shepherd and the door of the sheep. And we thank you for all of those. But this morning we're thanking you that he came as the light of the world who reveals you to us. Commune with each one now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.